0: Good morning and uh, welcome to Race Industry Now, the weekly webinar series from EPAR Trade, presented to you by ARP, Performance Plus Global Logistics, PIC, Ferrier Racing Components, Fifth Third Bank Motorsports, and today, Scribner Plastics. I am Francisque Savigny, the founder and CEO of EPAR Trade, the racing industry every minute, every day. This is episode 440 and we're going to be talking trends in cylinder head designs with Curtis Box. With me this morning are Judy Keen, the co-founder of Portrait, and our superstar host, three-time NASCAR crew chief champion, Mr. Jeff Hammond. Judy? Uh, Judy is on mute. Judy, you're on mute.
1: There we go. Thank you. Thank you, And Thank you, everybody, for joining with us. Um, as I mentioned last week, we have had so many suppliers jump on board with us. You saw Scribner on there this morning. So just an influx of companies. And this morning on our newsletter, hopefully everybody got it, we announced that we we're bringing on uh, Andrea Brake. We worked with Andrea at our old PRI days. So we we just all think alike. We're we're helping those small little entrepreneurial companies. So we're proud to have Andrea joining us officially. Jeff? Well, first and foremost, let me go ahead and extend my congratulations and a uh, hearty welcome to Andrea. That's very exciting. The co- company continues to grow. Brad, really excited about being a part of it. And hey, 400, what did you say, Francis? 440. <laughs> well, I'm telling you right Which now, means- we're putting up you the numbers. We have done over you yeah, done really excited things. about being back in 2024. All right. Are we ready Thanks. to go, Francis? Yes, we are. And Curtis is on. So Jeff, carry on. All right, carry on. That's exactly what we're going to do. Hey, good morning, Curtis. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I really am. I mean, I'm really uh, charged up about today's webinar because I feel like I'm talking to someone who understands some of the things that I remember back in the good old days. And I'm sure that you have advanced it all the way into modern technology, but i got to ask you. You were doing cylinder heads and working in this area in the 70s and 80s, so that meant uh, there was some cast iron involved. Oh,
2: (laughs) Oh, oh,
1: first thing you do is start off with um, a, a nightmare, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I um, I live some of those days and I and I, re- I appreciate them. That's the reason why I wanted to bring it up. I don't want anybody to think that you had it easy because I know that part <laughs> of your history involved making that jump from doing it by hand to doing it yes. by, machi- by machine. So I wanted to touch on that.
2: So, uh, Jeff, first of all, I, I got to say that it's 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 a real privilege for me to be on with you. Um, you know, we're, we're two old guys in, in the industry and um, yeah. you know, the experience you have um, you know, I'm really looking forward to today. I know some of the things that I I'd like to get into are conversations that you're going to directly relate to. So it's, this is going to be fun. Um, so to answer your question, yeah, in the early days um, the first version of this, you know, the business I had was called Boggs Racing Heads. Um, and I rented a little shop out in Chesapeake, Virginia. Um, um, you know, I rented that from an engine builder, John Bray. Um, and actually, you 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 might even know John Bray, you know, circle track guy. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, John was kind enough to lend me some space. And um, I used to get pallet loads of big block Chrysler cylinder heads from Herb McCandless. So There's and it was all
1: before.
2: yeah, and it was all pallet load of heads, big block heads, all ported by hand. And um yeah, I didn't really enjoy life very much in those days. <laughs> it, it was it was brutal. It was brutal. And two of the CNC machines came around. Um, there was nothing easy about it. Yeah.
1: No, it definitely wasn't. And I and I think the thing that's interesting is that I remember the days working at, at juniors and I was allowed to go up in the cylinder head when we had raw castings, and I was allowed to do some of that to help Bill Almond. So he went out and do all of it. You know, what I'm saying, you know what I mean mm-hmm. when I say do all of it. I mean you go in there in a white uniform. The first, you know, the, the first thing that morning by lunchtime, you know, you look like you've been rolling in a in a, a coal bin to a certain degree with all the the dust and the, the filings and grindings that you were taking out of the head. So yes. you know, a lot of times he let me help a little bit before it got down to the real technical stuff, but. The, the idea that you and people like Junior Johnson and Smokey Eunuch and and Bill Allman at the time being able to to look at something and say let's do this because we want we're we're not getting I mean the right color in the piston we want we want you know we want we want to try to change the airflow we need to get the, you know the fuel and everything. You didn't have machines to do that. You had to do a lot of it by trial and error. You you do something, you put it on a flow bench. That looks pretty good, but then you got to put it on the real deal, run it, take it back apart, and say, "Hey, that worked. Numbers are good. Flow looks like it's good." You, you know where I'm coming from. <laughs> yeah,
2: it was it was it was a very different thing in those those days, and um, you know, these days, you know, I, of course we rely on. You know, computers and you know, fluid simulations and all that stuff. And we didn't have that in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all practical. Um, so I have a formal training in fluid dynamics., um, so I was familiar, you know, I'm familiar with, you know, doing practical experiments and and uh, you know, even silly things like, you know, after you com- you complete a set of heads, they go through the the wash tank and you got them in the rinse tank and you're washing them off and you just spray the hose through the port, watch where the fluid goes. You know, it, um, I think, I think in the early days, I think, uh, John Bray thought there was something wrong with me and, um, uh, and I can firmly come, you know, I, I can say there's definitely something wrong with me, but, <laughs> you know, I would stand there with the, with the hose and just watch where things went and it went much deeper than that. You know, I, I built, you know, a home built wet flow bench, um, mm-hmm. you know, with spray nozzles, you know, it, we went through all those practical experiments. Um, and in the, that's the only way you can really get the baseline. Um, I think I, I don't want to take anything away from current, um, you know, cylinder head designers, but I think I think they have it a little bit easier than we had it in those days.
1: Well, you know, you do. I mean, and, and again, like I say, that, that is the fault of our own because technology came along and it's kind of like, you know, are we going to stay in the stone age or are we going to advance and take, take advantage of what we can now see. And when Mm -hmm. I say that, I was, I was thinking about how you were describing water, fluid, whatever, uh, solvent, how it was doing inside a cylinder head and trying to imagine this is air and everything. But as you know, very well know air is lighter and whatever kind of gasoline or fuel you're using will react a little different than even what the solvent or water is doing. So, sure. you know, you got to kind of like look at it and, and you got to almost like think outside the box. Will it stay attached there? Is it going to separate around this corner? Uh, should I sharpen it? Should I sharpen it or should I round it up? You know, and, and what mm-hmm. part and where? how are you? I don't know. I, I think what I'm trying to say is you were trying to mix fuel and air together at that time, and you didn't have any other way to do it, except by stuff like what you're doing. You're totally immersing yourself. I'm trying to become a particle inside the cylinder head and think, what kind of ride is this? What kind of roller coaster ride am I on?
2: Right. Well, the, the you know the the real trick, um, you know, of course we're dealing with fuel injection in a lot of situations today, so that's that's changed things a little bit. Um, but you know, your your real mixing happens at the carburetor. You know, so the 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 bigger trick, at, at least in my eyes, the bigger trick became, you know, not to undo what the carburetor did. So, you know, you're always you always bending airflow around a push rod pinch or, you know, a, you know, a head bolt that's sticking in the port or, you know, you have some ob- obstruction that you're trying to get air around without separating air and fuel. Um, and that to me, that was always the bigger challenge. Uh, separation over the short turn of the, the intake port. You know your airspeed's always, you know, always higher over the the short turn, um, so you have to be careful with separation. And what happens there? So, um, I I looked at it in kind of a different way. I know a lot of people think about trying to always mix the fuel. I always, you know, went back to try and not to disturb what the fuel injector or the carburetor had already done. Um,
1: so what you're, what you're saying right there is you already are saying air and fuel have been mixed mm-hmm. and now it's my job not to separate them
2: absolutely absolutely okay. you know you think about it uh, you know the that little magic funnel that sits on top of the you know intake manifold carburetor um you know does a does a fantastic job of you know mixing air and fuel and atomizing fuel um so you know as long as that job is happening and you know, you have some some good airspeed through the port stuff like that, you should be able to maintain that. The real trick um, really came from looking at, uh, again, trying to maintain that. And the trick came from looking at pressure differentials. Um, so, you know, you have high speed pressure differential at, at the carburetor um, and taking a small block, you know, V8 with 18 degree heads on it. As an example, you know, now you have, you know, a pinch at the push rod. So there's another high speed differential, you know, and then of course you have your third that's at, you know, ideally um at the uh, at the valve, you know, at the at the throat underneath the valve. So managing managing the changes in those pressure differentials, um, you know, is another important thing. So, you know, you you run airspeed, you know, a um, air mixture with fuel in it, you run that through and get it to the push rod pinch. And let's say, you know, you really pinch it down at the push rod, your airspeed, you know, jacks through the roof. And then you go into a big valve bowl and big area over the short turn, you know, and you dump all that airspeed. That's a great way to separate fuel. You know, so, you know, all of that's, there. there's so much to managing fuel. You know, it's, um, there's a, obviously there's a lot to it. You know, pressure differentials was always that was my always my big thing. And even today still is, um, you know, I kind of care less about um, flow numbers, you know, and a mm-hmm. CFM number, you know, you, you have you have to be in the ballpark. I mean, it can't be junk. Um, you have to have good laminar flow or at least good, good flow that you don't have any turbulence that you don't intend to have. Um, but the pressure differentials were always that was the number one thing I was always looking at.
1: So, what is the biggest change in in, in technology, and and what has had the most influence as far as the cylinder head, <laughs> excuse me, design to engine horsepower?
2: Uh this is an easy one. Oh, okay. CNC CNC machines. Okay. Um, and and I'll I'll share you know my personal experience, and I'm I'm sure it was the same for. Most people that got involved with CAD and CNC machines at the time. Um, so I, you know, I had the privilege of, of uh, I got the second five-axis CNC machine that Centroid ever built, um, and, you know, to this day, the, those are still some of my closest friends. They're just wonderful, wonderful people to work with. Um, and the first time I start, I, I was actually able to digitize ports bring it into CAD and accurately measure the cross sections. I was nowhere near what I thought I had, you know, that the old school way of measuring port areas and cross sections, you know, we, you know, would do our rubber molds, would fill it with rubber, push the mold out, cut it, you know, graph paper sections and all this stuff. Um, And I had no idea how inaccurate I was. So, you know, That was for me. That was a major step. Soon as I soon as I discovered that one thing, and I could adjust my cross sections, and I could very accurately control my air speeds, my pressure differentials, it was a game changer. That changed everything. Um, And and I'm sure sure it's safe for everyone.
1: Did did you use? How did you go about doing that? Was it was it a roller arm deal? What 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 was it that allows you to do these cross sections accurately?
2: So at the time, um, you know, this is early on in the in the process, and I I had a preference for digitizing in the spindle of the CNC machine, uh, okay. you know, which is you know that's how Centroid started out doing that, um, and I always I had a preference for that because it, it 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 located stuff very accurately on the machine, and you know I I didn't have other location issues. Um, so I did that a lot. So I would digitize on the CNC machine, I literally would send a probe through in a five axis program. And, you know, if I didn't have a pre existing program, sometimes it took a day or two to, to get it to go through there, um, at least in the early days, I, I know they've got their programming down pretty well now. Um, but I would, you know, I would get that, that stand data. Um, that I could bring it into the CAD program, or I tended to use Mastercam for a lot of CAD design stuff too. I did, you know, most of my stuff in Mastercam. Uh, but I could bring that model in, and then I could section it and measure my cross-sectional areas anywhere that I wanted. Um, and so, like I said, that you know, all of a sudden I had this, this, you know, fantastic amount of control. Um, and again, it wasn't just you know, control over, you know, just making it bigger, or smaller, or, or that, and all this, all that, you know, the, the control you have over the shape, which was another, you know, big improvement, right, but dealing with those pressure differentials, and now, you know, when I go through the push rod pinch, you know, and I expand it over the short turn, you know, you've got to turn it, you've got to slow the air a little bit to get it over the short turn. So there's, there's always expansion, um, you know, there's there's storage rates. There's this, you know, particular size that I always liked, valve bowls and you know, which was part of the, the short turn and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could control what happened with the airspeed very accurately. Um at least at least in my mind, as you as you know, we never know what's really going on in there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I totally appreciate that. I do. <laughs>
2: I've I you know to this day uh you know uh, a good difficult engine combination will teach me a lesson or two even today you know it it never stops
1: can I ask you real quick when you when you were able to start doing that what what percentage of Im- improvement do you think you saw in a set of cylinder heads as it pertained to the dyno or wherever wherever you felt like was a gain I mean because again you got repeatability like you've never had before right right so when you're able to transfer all that what 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 did you see you know when because again every engine builder or head guy I've ever been around they always want to know what's the bottom number I mean how much more torque do we make or how much more power do we make you know do we make you know where did it where did it where did it go I mean what did what did it show
2: yeah and and that's that's interesting that's a that's an interesting question because it's a it's a little bit deeper than that. um so first of all, you know the repeatability, I mean, you know a good cylinder head porter, good cylinder head grinder uh usually doesn't have repeatability problems hand grinding um you know, so although that's that was an advantage, um the like I said, the bigger advantage was was all the other control that we now gained and all the insight to what was really happening in there um so you know I was always a big block guy um you know I I, my early years I worked at Sonny's and uh what I I mean I admittedly I miss Sonny what a what a wonderful thing that man did for me early in my career um but I was always a big block guy so you know that The immediate change that I saw as soon as I started applying this to the big block and, um, you know, making some of the port cross-sectional changes, airspeed changes, all of that stuff. uh, I immediately saw, I I think the first number I can really put together, if I remember right, was about 35, 35 or maybe 40 horsepower. Um, Yeah, this was on um, some of the early test engines were 540s. Um mm-hmm. and drag race engines um and there was there was some marine engines involved too, but the drag race stuff uh usually fifteen to one, you know eight or nine hundred lift cams uh single single four barrel cast manifold carburetor, yeah, so there was a there was a pretty pretty hefty jump right off the bat.
1: So when you make a big jump like that, does it? Does all of a sudden does Pandora's box get opened up as far as you know how a port size shape and everything size and shape change in the last twenty years as far as it goes the as far as the, the effectiveness of the engine combination? You know, did it did it unlock uh, the other side of where all of a sudden oh well guess what we can do now we can change this cam we can put these kind of uh, pistons in we can do this yes. kind of bore stroke did it did it pretty much just like have an avalanche?
2: Absolutely. Uh, That's a, that's a Pandora's box that that's still open today, at least for me. Um, So, you know, staying on, on, on the big block Chevrolet, Mm -hmm. you know, I, you know, today, you know, some of the stuff that um, my current programs, um, which I, I don't own RFD anymore, but, but Dan at RFD, they're still, they're still selling those programs and they're all definitely front running programs. Well, you know, that, that was a progression that started with that CNC machine. You know, when, when I first discovered the capabilities there, the light bulb goes off and it is, for me, it has been a never ending process since then, you know, trying stuff, going different directions. And as you know, you know, from, from being a, you know, a winning crew chief, you know, you make one change and it shows you something and it tells you a direction to go in and you you know, you start following that rabbit hole, and then it tells you to go someplace else, and um, it's a never-ending process. Um, I'm, you know, I'm I made I made power with big blockheads, conventional style big blockheads today that I never thought was possible, and I, I never thought it was possible. So yeah,
1: it opened so, Pandora's box. <laughs> okay, along that same line, so with what you've learned through these years. What has been the most like wow factor as far as changing the personality of an engine?
2: Oh, personality of an engine. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. So now that, now that with CNC machines, all of a sudden we have this massive amount of control. So now what do we do with that? Well, you know, the personality of an engine is something that, that I've always talked about because, you know, um, Big block Chevrolet is a good example Uh, you know, there was this habit of, you know, cylinder heads were too small. I I mean, they were definitely too small. And then, you know, you put big camshaft in it, trying to get air through the the combination and literally things couldn't breathe. You know, engine combinations can't breathe. And what, you know, what some people thought were, you know, proper ports sizes and air speeds and stuff were just really restrictions. Um, you know, the more that you got to pour it out of the way, you made it very easy for the air, you know, the air to, you know, move into the cylinder, you know, the the more power you could make. Well, the better the cylinder head, the less camshaft you need. Um, so now we we start going down, you know, that particular rabbit hole, you know, well, how big is too big of a cylinder head? Um, and I, I can tell you, I mean, I can give you some numbers. I started looking at numbers i was i was building towards numbers in about 260 you know foot range on the flow bench where you know i i know there's a lot of other very talented cylinder head people that you know like little oval ports they like hair airspeed as fast as possible they think that's the magic um and in their combination you know they figured out how that works you know so You know, I've certainly discovered there's not one way to skin the cat. Um, But I started, you know, bigger cylinder heads, get everything out of the way, make it very easy for the engine to consume air. You know, um, and that gave us the ability to start pulling camshaft out. Well, you know, the, the, the big way to make torque or what makes torque, right, is cylinder pressure you know, and, and it's not airspeed in a, in a port, you know, that'll be throttle response, but that's not torque, you know, torque comes from, you know, your, uh, your cylinder pressure. So all of a sudden, you know, I have this big cylinder head on here. It's easy for the engine to consume air. I start pulling camshaft out so I can, I can run my, you know, cylinder pressures up. Um, And the other thing that, that, you know, that gave us was an engine combination that would accelerate faster. You know, the, the, the acceleration rate of the engine itself was faster. It was easier for it to crank up, you know, up to RPM. Um, I hope that answers your question.
1: <laughs> no, it does, but it also makes me start thinking about...
2: <laughs> <laughs> See, it's a big rabbit hole, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a big rabbit hole for sure when you, when you start trying to figure out, when you start taking cam away. But what have you found as far as, you know, the overlap, you know, the, the cl- opening and closing of, of the the cam and how it works as far as that pressure inside there? Is it better to hold it longer? You know, do you compress it to, you know, in a, and just like you burp it or do you let it, you know, the exhaust come open and let it get clear out? You know, you understand where I'm coming from? You know, that, that sweet spot yes. you're looking for.
2: Yes. So, um, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the deep secrets here today. You okay. know, that that that's kind of, you know, the all the recent, you know, championship winning or record setting combinations. I You know, I kind of had I kind of had the same method um, and, you know, I would do very, very efficient exhaust ports as much as I could. Um, and then I would use the exhaust lobe, move the exhaust lobe around to uh, reduce overlap and build cylinder pressure. Um, and you know, the easy way to do this. Now I'm running a cylinder head shop where I'm selling, you know, cylinder heads to a lot of different people. I've got them out on different engine combinations and dynos. Um, so I'm not in a situation where I've got it on a dyno and I've got, you know, transducers in the cylinders and I can measure cylinder pressure. Um, so my solution to that was, um, using cranking compression. So I tracked cranking compression, you know, from the early days at Sunnys. is that, uh, you know, I cranked, I, I, I tracked that for a long time um and i would i would tune the engine combinations the camshaft combinations again it's it's funny how the airspeed numbers and this number is similar but you know all my really good running stuff usually had a cranking cylinder pressure you know 250 plus 260 270s mm-hmm. um i anything up around 300 seemed to not be happy i i think it was I think the engine was working too hard to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, that's the thing It started really started pulling exhaust lobe out. Um, But, you know, I I had a very long relationship with uh, Tim Goldsby at, at bullet cams. Um, And I have to say that Tim was a genius there, you know, um, uh, you know, brilliant camshaft guy. So I, I would never tell him what to do. I would tell him my theory and what I, what I thought in general. Um, but I would never tell Tim what to do. He always came up with it.
1: Real quick, Curtis, before we go much further. Uh, I know we have some people that are watching and, and taking all this in. And I, I'm, I hope we're, we're mesmerizing them. But I don't want you to forget, you got a a dog in his fight too, everyone. So you want to ask Curtis a question. Please don't forget you can send it to me and uh, I'll relay it and... Trying to get you an answer because there again, um, I'm loving what I'm doing, and hopefully, I'm you know, touching some bases and hot spots that you want to have and questions answered. But if you've got something to help me out here, go right ahead and jump in, and we will uh, I'll put you on the spot if you get somebody to get not be so nervous and write us a couple questions here. How about that?
2: Nice, uh, I like, I like you know, questions,
1: you know, continuing down this uh, this road, I know we kind of started in the cast iron days and, and jumped into, you know, aluminum heads and everything. So, you know, people that you, that you saw their work, heard about their success, any of them jump out at you. I mean, as far as, you know, you take, I mean, back in the early days, rear Morrison would help us with some of the stuff at Junior. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the crossover, I think a lot of people would be surprised that NASCAR guys would look over to drag racers for what are you gonna learn there? You know, they they they're running. If they bust a head, they just pull it off the next round and put another head on. You know, in our case, we're gonna run four or five hundred miles that afternoon and practice something like that. And you know, we don't have that luxury. You know, you know where I'm coming from? What mm-hmm. do they know that we can't figure out? And I, I think again, in talking to you, the way you approach your philosophy, I think, influence other people's philosophy. I
2: um, well, I, I know in the earlier days of um, you know, and, and in the in the very early days, you know, I I was like several other shops. As far as I know, um, you know, there was a lot of people like Ron. There was a lot of cylinder head guys that, you know, the NASCAR teams would send them a set of cylinder heads and we would, you know, do our thing and send them back. And then they wouldn't tell us anything
1: about it have no idea if it worked
2: <laughs> you know so if they it, called it
1: was, you back wanted more you know something was going right <laughs> uh, yeah yeah if you called if they called
2: you back second time you knew something was working um yeah. you know so those again those those were interesting days um you know but uh, you know cylinder head guys in those days there was so many but you know, the communication wasn't what we have now. Um, so I will say that probably, you know, when the internet started, we we first had internet forums, like, you know, Speed Talk, if you remember Speed Talk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was I was on, early on Speed Talk. Um, you know, you talked about Darren, uh, uh, Real Morrison. Well, Darren Morgan, you know, cylinder head guy at Rio Morrison, very, very talented individual right. um, was on there, you know, and the early days of speed talk was this great atmosphere where, you know, just all this sharing and, you know, comparison and, you know, problem solving amongst some very, very smart people I, I was, I was very privileged to be to be there. Um, You know, as far as, you know, in today's world, you know who, who I pay attention to. um. You know, from an overall business standpoint, um, you know, Matt Biedemann at MBE is um, is pretty amazing. Right. Um, now, they have taken CNC, you know, to a, to a whole nother level. Um, you know, they're they're really, really doing what they need to do with their machines. There's a lot of talent. So, you know, I tend to pay attention to that. Um God, it's hard for me to think of people I really paid attention to. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, we do have a question here. This is from Dan Agnew, a, a gentleman I know. How you doing, Dan? Appreciate you uh, being on today. You mentioned your backgrounds in fluid mechanics. What uh, CAE tools did you use now and how do you apply them?
2: So, you know, as far as practical experiments, uh, you know, relating to fluid dynamics, you know, it's it's changed as far as you know wet flow stuff. I, I haven't done any wet flow testing in several years, um, and the the reason for that, I went through a phase of, you know, there's probably at least a couple of years where I was I was doing a tremendous amount of practical experiments with wet flow. Uh, most of the time, I had home built this fixture with. You know, wet and dry vacuum cleaners and, you know, spray rods from, from nitrous systems and all this wacky stuff to, you know, try and simulate, you know, uh, atomized fuel through the through the engine. Well, I think after a, a year or two of doing those experiments, I, I identified enough trends that I just felt like it wasn't, you know, I didn't have to test every cylinder head or every port design because it became you know, where I kind of understood what what was happening and what it liked. Um, so today, uh, my number one tool is a pedo probe. I can't talk. Pedo <laughs> probe. Yeah, there we go. Um, but, you know, measuring airflow on the flow bench is everything. Um, so that's, you know, I, I turn the flow bench on, you know, and, and get a CFM number. And, and that's all wonderful. But really, I'm in there with pedo, pr- you know, and, and Measuring air airflow and you know finding dead spots, finding active spots, you know checking my airspeed numbers compared to my calculated cross-sectional areas and airspeed numbers. So, all really comes down to that.
1: So, do you find yourself more challenged or having more fun messing with fuel injection, throttle bodies, carburetors? What what kind of you know how how do they affect you and how do they challenge you and and do you, which one you enjoy maybe more
2: uh, i enjoy them all um you know the um ultimately the you know the what brings me the most joy is is the challenge is mm-hmm. you know is the problem solving so that being said you know they they have they have different capabilities i i think we can get away with more stuff with fuel injection um you know, a, a carbureted combination, you know, plenum volumes can be sensitive. You know, if you get plenum volume too big, you know, you can hurt your signal at carburetor. You know, sometimes it won't accelerate down the track like it should, you know, there, there's a there's a balance that needs to happen there. Um, and it seems like you can get away with, you know, bigger plenum volumes and stuff on uh, fuel injected combinations, um, at least in the drag race and, and the you know, offshore marine and things that I've, I've worked on recently. Uh, so that seems to be less of a challenge. Um, the The bigger challenge is always, always comes back to the basics. I think is, you know, again, we're measuring, we're, ma- we're trying to master the airflow numbers, but we're trying to master the airspeed and those pressure differentials. Um, and the trick is as the engine combinations get bigger, you know, we get six 700 inch big blocks you know and now we have to get hit the right airspeed numbers and the challenge is always getting that proper size port in between the the push rods the head bolt holes and and everything else you got to navigate to get to the cylinder um so you know physically the challenges are pretty much always the same
1: with that being said i think i'd be remiss because i saw in your you know in you know reading about your history and everything that you work with uh with Elderbrock. um you you talk about how you unify fuel and air well that's that's one of the the beginning points of everything so what was it like to work with Vic Elderbrock and his group as far as uh you know what's what you feed your cylinder heads
2: well first of all I, you know um you know, I have a I have a lot of very close people in my life that, that are no longer here that I miss very much. Uh, I, miss Edel, I, I miss Vic. I mean, what a wonderful person he was. Great to work with. Um, you know, and the engineering team. So I, I worked with uh Rick Roberts and Brent McCarthy. And really Brent is Brent and I are the ones that really worked on on the big block manifold that that I, I think everybody kind of knows me for. Um And, you know, uh, again, as things changed and and as we learned more and the engine combinations became more demanding, um, because obviously that's the other side of it. You know, if we went from, you know, the biggest big block we ever had was, you know, a 400 inch big block or 396 or 454, right? If that's the biggest one we ever had, doesn't take much cylinder head to feed that. But now we're up at, you know, 632, you know, with, you know, with standard bore space blocks and stuff. So the demand on the cylinder head, you know, kept going up as we kept, you know, getting crazier with engines. So the relationship with, uh, with Edelbrock was, um, that was one of the most fun experiences I've had in this business. Um, It was really nice to, you know, step away from being the business owner and running a shop and doing all all the stuff that I really don't like to do and just be the engineer. Um, So it was, it was a total joy. Um, And out of that, you know, that the conventional big block manifolds that they still sell today and are still one of the front running manifolds, you know, the 2896 short deck and 2897s, you know, the, the super Victor, super Victor two, I think they call it. Um, So, yeah, it was a real pleasure to work with them. So design wise, you know, we're, we were going from what they had, you know, they had Super Victor manifolds before. Um, and and I have to admit some of this, I, I don't want to say it was easy, but <clears throat> it was easier than I expected, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh-huh. Um, but it's because we were making this jump, you know, in power and engine sizes and stuff. So the previous designs the you know, the the, the runners were too small, um, the entry area into the runners were too small. Um, you know, there's a particular taper rate that a that an intake manifold likes to see. Um, none of that was present. Um, you know, they had uh, they had very different lengths of runners all in the same manifold. You know, there, there was a lot of things that, you know, that we know today, you know, wasn't happy. So, you know, making those corrections got me to where where we were.
1: Hi, right, I got to ask this question. I know we're getting kind of close to the end of our session. The difference between road race and short track head design versus a high RPM drag race head.
2: Glad you asked this. I'd like to ask you this. <laughs>
1: <Go> yeah. <ahead. laughs> I'll, I'll take the fifth on that one. <laughs> nice. Nice.
2: So, you know, the, circling back to the fact that we have all this control now and we can control all these cross-sectional areas, airspeed, and pressure differentials. So now we can have a much greater control over the personality of the engine. So, you know, a high RPM drag race engine in a, you know, 2,000, 2,200 pound chassis, you know, pro stock car, whatever it is, you know, you can put a pretty darn big cylinder head on it with, you can, not have a real crisp airspeed in it um, and it'll work just fine, you know because you're you're gonna spend your whole time, you know between say seven and nine thousand dollars uh, well, pro stock. So let's between nine thousand and eleven thousand, you know wherever. Um, road race is a completely different thing. So you know road race and a circle track car, you have to get the car up off the corner. so it, it's 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 got to have crisp throttle response or good throttle response. It's got to have you know good good power and good torque um, at a lower RPM range. You know, let's say a short track car. Maybe you're coming up off the corner, you know, at four thousand RPM, and it, you're right. at eight thousand at the end of the straight. Well, you know, you got to you got to make that thing run all the way through. It's got to come off, come up off the corner, you know. And as as you know, you don't come off the corner, you're not making the pass at the end of the straight. It's just not going to happen. But you also have to have the power at the end of the straight. You gotta have the high end speed. So, you know, now the challenge, that's the challenge. Um, so port design has a huge effect on that. You know, you might you might not have as big a pressure differentials. You might have a port that doesn't have a lot of expansion rate over the short term. You know, you might maintain your airspeed and you might, you know, keep your port, you know, cross-sectional areas more even. So it's, you know, there's not a lot of changes there. So the thing has a very flat and even, you know, horsepower and torque curve through the range. Um, but it, but then again, you know, now that you're a little bit, you know, you can be a little bit bigger or you can manage that airspeed better, that you can start having more freedom in camshaft. Um, all the circle track stuff that I tended to work on, we went down that range. We usually ports usually ended up a little bit bigger than the engine builders expected. Um, and they discovered they had to go back and work on the camshaft, that their standard cams, you know, weren't cutting the mustard. Um, the other thing is is, is now it gives you some tuning ability. Um, uh, if you have a driver that's, you know, that's not gentle on the throttle, you know, that the guy that just whacks the throttle off the corner, yeah. you know, burns the tires off, right? Well, you know. Now you can start working on, you know, you can go as far as and design the entire induction system for that, you know, as well as camshaft and things like that, make it a little bit softer so the guy didn't knock the tires off, if you want to go that route. Um, And then somebody that's got great throttle response, you know, really good with the foot, you know, you can be very aggressive. Um, All of this is now that we have all this control we have all this tuning ability so i would typically be a little bit crisper on cylinder heads a little bit smaller you can't put a drag race head on a circle track car or road race car and expect it to perform does not work
1: well kind of like you say back in the day when junior was running those 180 degree headers and we really we could do a lot of things because of the of the bottom end torque that he built in the engines.
2: Mm. And with
1: someone like Daryl, even Kale, Kale, not quite as much Daryl, but Daryl was so soft footed. He could sit there and take all the you know, back pressure and in the, in the cylinder you wanted. Cause he loved torque and he could uh, get that yeah. cylinder to come up off, to, off the corner, keeping them hooked up. And by the time he got up on the straightaway, he could get her wide open and get to the flag sand for anybody else and then roll back out of it and then feather foot it right back in again. It was poetry talent. to listen to. It really was.
2: Yeah, that's talent. Nice. nice.
1: Well, speaking of talent, Francis, I believe Mr. What? Curtis right here has, has shared a lot of his talent with us today. I really enjoyed the, the conversation and hopefully all of those out there, uh, you know, uh, enjoyed as much as I did. Thank you, Curtis. The, the, there uh, is no, one you. quick
0: there is one quick question. Do you want to address that quickly? Oh yeah, just uh, popped
1: up here. Can you share any of your tricks to manage the airflow around the port short term? Ha.
2: Ah. oh, um, do we have another hour? Um... <laughs> 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 oh, we'll get Judy to line you back up. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, that that's um, um uh, and you're welcome to share my email if if you want. But you know, really, you have to the only way to get to turn the air around a short turn, you have to slow it down to turn it. You know, you, you have a certain amount of energy air just wants to go straight air. Doesn't want to do anything you tell it to. So, um, you know, big wide short turns. There's a reason you see that you're trying to slow the air over the short turn um, as well as short turn shapes. Um, A lot of my later port designs. um, I don't believe in, you know, putting a fin in the floor of the port, but, but, you know, if we had a, you know, say this is the short turn and and the valve's on this side and this is the rest of the port, I started putting like a little hump in the center of the port that would kind of help the air go over the center of the short turn. Um, that's a that's a nice little trick that works. Keep, work keep it attached.
1: Keep it attached so it can make the turn. That's yeah. right. Thank you, Jim. We appreciate your uh, question right there. I kind of snuck in right there at the last second, though. But uh... And Curtis, why don't you share your email address just so people have it? So
2: um it's it's easy. It's Curtis at cbogs.com. It's Curtis at C B-O-G-G-S dot com.
0: Thank you. Thank thank you very much, Curtis. That was a delight to have you on. And, you know, thank you very much. Great, great pleasure. So this this webinar has been recorded. It will be distributed later on the Portrait platform and through our newsletters and social media channels. We will be back next week for episode 441, Jeff, with (laughs) Sadev. And we'll be talking transmission, actually a sequential transmission with Sadev. So in the meantime, for any updates and uh, more resources, please visit www eportrait.com once again thank you and goodbye
1: thank you thank you Curtis
2: epartrade is a digital platform that we've created basically to make life easier in the business community of auto racing in
1: epartrade there is no e-commerce it's literally a connection just like at a trade show so now any time of the year a buyer could reach out to a supplier
0: when you see a product that you're interested in all you need to do is click on the request, more information, and then from there, it is forwarded directly to the buyer or to the supplier.
1: e really eliminates having to travel, closing down your shop. Now you have a place to showcase globally your racing product and technology. Land speed record holder George Poteet's speed demon rocketed 481 miles per hour at the Bonneville Salt Flats. You don't go that fast without ARP fasteners. There is no way that we could go the speed that we've gone the number of times we've gone with a lesser quality bolt than ARP supplies to us. We absolutely wouldn't be where we were today if it weren't for ARP. When failure is not an option, it's arp foltscom We're Performance Plus Global Logistics. Our team of dedicated performance industry and logistics experts get valuable cars and components to the track on time in top condition. We provide expedited logistics solutions for the performance industry, using direct routes instead of deferred options, and communicate all necessary information to the appropriate resources to meet regulations and ensure a smooth transit and secure delivery, both domestically and internationally. And we exceed customer expectations by providing best-in-class service with an efficient and cost-effective system in place. Contact us today to book your next shipment.
0: You work as hard as your truck, and you have no time for downtime. That's why more truck owners trust Blue Def, America's number one diesel exhaust fluid brand. Each batch is guaranteed pure, so you can avoid costly repairs caused by inferior death. Demand America's best for your truck. Blue Def and Blue Def Platinum. Put trust in your truck. With roots in the Midwest that date back well before the Model T, Fifth Third Bank has a long history of serving the needs of automotive companies.
2: While much has changed over the years, our passion for helping businesses put cars on the road and on the track has not. Today, we are more committed than ever as a member of SEMA,
0: a founding member of PRI, and a sponsor of multiple race teams across several racing series.
2: For over a decade, Fifth Third Bank has been a staunch supporter of our industry and a great partner for many companies in the motorsports field. Our business has been growing extremely fast and really we could not be where we are today without Fifth Third. They
1: provided amazing strategic advice, the capital we need to support our phases of
0: growth. They are true partners for me now and what they do with their involvement in motorsports is untouched in this community.
2: Where can we take your business? Fifth Third Bank
0: where will you find Ferrea racing components
2: circle track drag racing and any top race shop in every form of motorsports
0: competition our valves and valve train components deliver race proven design and technology and we've brought that same performance to our street applications as well we're backed by five
2: decades of experience an extensive range of off-the-shelf components and our custom
0: valve department has the fastest turnaround times in the industry for racing components stand with us or race against us
2: Cylinder Plastics has provided professional strength shipping containers to the automotive and performance industry for over 40 years. We have containers that will fit most any configuration of complete or partial engines and transmissions. Today we highlight part number 5148 cylinder head shipping and storage containers. Base has double walled durable construction featuring a cinch strap with an abrasion sleeve that securely fits your small block, big block and pro stock heads to the base at all times. Talk to your dealers and distributors about the shipping storage container for cylinder heads from Cylinder Plastics part number 5148. Thank you.